All right, here we go. It is episode 59 of Stick to Hockey Live. It is Jason Martinez and the dueling Anthony. We've got Anthony DeMarco from the fourthperiod.com, and we've got Anthony Sanfilippo from Crossing Broad, uh, the Crossing Broadcast, Snow the Goalie, and much more. What's going on, boys? It's good to be back with you guys. I haven't talked to you two I know. on this program in a while. It's good to be back. It, it a takes squared. a monumental occasion to get it done here, and we certainly have one. Yeah, you can say this that is again. when Jay doesn't fit anymore. That, yeah, that's when Jay's the third wheel. <laughs> no, I'm not. A, I'm not the Paisan. <laughs> that's right. So, not the Paisan. Wrong first name. Don't yeah. have hair. <laughs> the whole thing. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. Not that I have much hair. Yeah. So I just I just hide it a little bit more under these backwards hats. That's all. <laughs> I, I was watching The Sopranos the other day. I don't know why, but I love that show. And Melfi's asking him why he picked her. He goes, I looked it, looked it up and I saw this guy and that guy and this lady. That's why I picked a Paisan. Because <laughs> she, she had an Italian yeah. last name. I picked the Paisan. Um, anyway, tons to get to. Let's start here. Um ASF, let's, yeah. what did, you know, hearing that Dave Scott is stepping down April 17th uh, and will not be the governor in the new league year, which begins July 1st. No great shock here. Are you shocked at all by the timing of it before the end of the season? Yeah, just you a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't, say, I wouldn't say I was shocked, but I mean, I mean, I, it did, it did surprise me a little bit because everything that I had been told was that it was going to um, take place as soon as the season was over. Um I just get the sense that the, the, the way this organization operates now, they, they try to make it seem like they're doing things. Uh, <laughs> they try to be a little shifty, like, ha ha, we surprised you on the timing of it, you know, but, um, but that's okay. And, and we all did see it, you know, we, we had heard it was going to happen. We saw it kind of coming, especially after the first week of March, which was kind of Waterloo for the organization. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, I mean, I, I had someone call me the Monday after the deadline and identified Every day, something bad that happened from the Tuesday prior straight through and said that, you know, they there was a big meeting on Sunday and they called it the most sobering week in the history of the franchise. Now, I thought that that might have been a little bit uh, hyperbolic, but at the same time, um, I got it right. And I understood it was it was the it was the week that they finally said enough is enough. Because I think that they they heard enough from the fans. They got a lot of na- na- negative national media attention, obviously, with the Rangers um, take fans taking over to Wells Fargo Center that that game, which was a nationally televised game. Of course, there was the whole screw up. Not that it was their fault, but it was their whole screw up with the, yeah, it's the actually the, the Rangers streaming. fault. <laughs> yeah, the streaming right went bad. So it was just like a but of course, that didn't that didn't help the optics of it. Right. But yeah, so it doesn't matter I, whose fault it is. It's right. Right. And, yeah. and then you had the deadline, which again was was not as bad as everyone made to make it out to be it was again an optics thing then you have the season ticket holder uh uh uh, town hall where they boo the hell out of chuck fletcher and you know every radio station starts paying attention to the flyers in a negative way local tv giving them you know negative coverage and it was just a mat it was a culmination of all that within a span of five days and they said, all right, we, we have to, we have to make a change. And yeah, so this is, it, yeah, it led to this. And this is what, and that's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. Change is a good thing um, sometimes. And I think that this will ultimately um, 
be better for the organization. It's not going to sit there and say there's going to be a magic wand and everything is going to suddenly be hunky-dory this summer. But at the same time, I think that there will be at least a cohesive direction and a cohesive message that comes out from the organization. And I think those are the most important things. As long as the fans see that you are jointly gearing toward something as a goal and everybody's pulling the same rope, then they'll pull the rope with you. It's when it's the it's when the messaging seems off or different or they feel like they're being gaslit that that's when they get pissed off. And I think that that's where we're where we're at. So I think that's going to be a positive for the organization. Yeah, I mean, you have to have consistency in your strategic vision and you have to be able to articulate that with consistency amongst different people. Yeah. Uh, and what DeMarco, when you you look at the, this is not change for the sake of change. I'm seeing a lot of people saying that, well, this doesn't mean anything as long as Comcast still owns the team. Uh, it's just putting a different face on it. I, I don't see it that way at all. But I mean, a lot of corporations own teams. We talked about MLSE and, you know, the Fenway group owns the Penguins. You know, having corporate ownership allows you to have corporate dollars that aren't just dependent on just hockey. So it can, it can, kind of supplement the income of a hockey team as well. But I don't look at this as a, as just a, you know, a, a moving one man out, moving another man in. You know, if done the right way, corporate ownership is basically the best situation in sports because you look at, let's say private ownership and it could be the best case scenario, let's say like Ed Snyder, or it could be the worst case scenario. Like we saw with the Ottawa Senators and Eugene Melnick for all those years who he cared so much, but at the same time he cared about his wallet a bit more. And I've always equated it, you just brought it up to MLSC with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I think that is the structure that the Flyers are barreling towards. Like, I, I was told yesterday that, like, once all is said and done, like, Hilferty is not going to be, and I'm sure, like, this is not news to anyone, he's not going to be at press conferences. He's not going to be at many media availabilities. Like, he's going to let the the soon-to-be president and presumably Danny Breer as the general manager have all that information funneled through them. And I think that's the way you have to operate. And I think that uh, Charlie O'Connor had a really good tweet about this yesterday. Uh, I don't want to butcher it, but more or less, he said something about, like, it's not about selling the team. Corporate ownership isn't the problem. It's the fact that Dave Scott was just listening and trusting the wrong guys. And I think that's pretty much pretty accurate as to what happened here is that Dave Scott, who hockey ops uh, reported directly to, to and and could speak to this better than me, was listening to advisors and leaning on them far too much. And that's why when people complain about guys like Bob Clark or Bill Barber or Paul Holmgren, I don't blame them for holding the title as advisors and giving their opinion. I blame the organizational structure that these were the guys helping to contribute to the organizational philosophical direction and being the guy that the ultimate decision maker would hang his hat on in terms of final big decision making, specifically over the last several months, whether or not to fire Chuck Fletcher and completely overall hockey ops. So now that you have a new guy in Hilferty coming in, with what I've heard is a new, I guess, forward-thinking approach to organizational structure. And I think that's why I've said that the change had to go well beyond Chuck Fletcher. He was part of the problem, but not the whole problem, was because I just never thought it made sense that the GM was uh, reporting directly to the, the quasi-owner, if you will. And it seems like Hilferty is spearheading an approach to completely shake that up. 
And like I said, I think Ag could speak to it more about how the organizational structure has been flawed ever since Paul Holmgren pretty much retired in June of 2019. Well, I mean, I've done a little digging on Hilferty. Um, he, he had a lot of connection to a lot of radio people that I worked with when he ran IBC, Independence Blue Cross. He brought the World Cup to Philly, which is going to be here in a couple of years. Um, but from what I understand, the guy is, A, he's a huge Philadelphia sports fan. B, he's apparently relentless <laughs> in his pursuit of success no matter what he's in. And he is definitely his own man. What do you know about Hilfrey yet? Well, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of what you just said is true. And I think that the most important thing here, and this kind of will tie into what, what Ant was just saying, was is that, and I think it's easy for fans to misinterpret Dan Hilferty's role, okay? I see it all the time on Twitter. I see it on the Facebook comments and everything. And they're saying, oh, they're just going from one not one guy who's not a hockey guy to another suit who's not a hockey guy. And that's irrelevant. Okay. That needs people need to understand you don't need to be well versed in the sport, like a deep nerd of the sport to be a good owner. I mean, I look, you know, look around the city. I mean, how many of the owners here are really like doing that kind of involvement? I mean, there is, I mean, Josh Harris knows nothing about basketball, yet the Sixers yeah. are successful. John Middleton isn't, you know, making decisions, uh, you know, baseball decisions. He's involved with the money, of course, but he's not making baseball decisions. And the Phillies went to the World Series, right? The Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Jeff Lurie lets Howie Roseman basically do whatever he has to do as GM. Hire the right people and let them do their job. Right. So, so that's, so I want to clear that up. I mean, Dan Hilferty doesn't need to be a hockey guy, but what Dan Hilferty needs to be with Dave Scott, which Dave Scott was not is a person who understands where sports, and in this particular case, hockey, falls on the Philadelphia landscape. And as a guy who grew up here and experienced it and as a fan himself, he's light years ahead of Dave in that front, right? He's not going to need to pay Bill Barber to be you know, the hockey whisperer, because he <laughs> understands that there it's is, he, right? I mean, he he understands what the sport of hockey is. He doesn't need to be an executive who wants to know all the ins and outs of why you're drafting a particular player or why you're trading for a particular player. But he he understands hockey and he understands where it fits in Philadelphia and how important it is to this fan base. And so because of that, that's that's exactly what you need. And Dave never got to that point. He was miscast from day one. Okay. And, and that's, that's the thing that if you want to say, going back to the end of the Snyder era, obviously, um, you know, Dave was put in place before Ed passed away, but Ed had, a, had his hand in picking Dave to be yeah, his replacement. Yeah, that's what I just asked you because yeah. that was the guy that he selected. And, and, to, and so uh, what I was going to, yeah, what I was going to say was, is that I kind of feel like, because we were nearing the end for Ed as far as from the business perspective, he had his guy prior to Dave, and it was Peter Luca. Yeah. And then that whole NBC audit came out, and you know, and Peter ended up being given his golden parachute, right, to jump out of to jump out the plane um and and move on to other things. And Ed was now left with having to find someone new in a short period of time. And I think he settled. For Dave Scott, because that's yeah. who Comcast may have offered up and whatever. And so I think that that was. I think he uh, thought it was going to be shorter too, Andy. Yeah, it was I, be a transitional I do. period because Dave do. was coming out of retirement as well. Yes, yes. I think he thought it was going to be transitional and not something that was going to be 
you know, 10 years. years. Well, and actually it was nine, right? I think it was nine, right? Yeah, 14. I think it was 14 when when Dave Dave Scott was. I think it was 2013, if I'm not mistaken. So it might have been 10 years, right? So 10, even a decade. Like I seem to to remember him coming in right after the the lockout almost. Like right after they came back from that lockout. And just just to kind of piggyback on all that, like I, I wanted to ask you, and and even Jay, because you guys have been like more around the team intimately than than me over the past couple or the last decade, rather. And it seemed like in the early years of Dave Scott, specifically the Raw and Hextall years when Homer was still president, like we knew who he was, but we didn't really know who he was. Like he was kind of like the Jacobs or Larry Tannenbaum in Toronto. Do you think Dave Scott's heavy involvement in being like the final decision maker on hockey ops was because he lost trust when they left Ron Hextall to all of his devices? Well, I, I know that there was a, a, a conflict between them. Um, and uh, so I, I think that Dave became felt like he be, needed to become more actively involved because of that. And I think to keep so once, everybody involved. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right, really. I mean, there was, it was the end of the Hextall era was very ugly internally yeah. um, with a lot of people. And I think Dave then felt it was important to then be more active because he was very passive at that yeah. time. He was really not involved. He let Paul kind of run the show as president. And so then you had Paul basically saying, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, you know, the whole Hextall thing got out of control. And so Dave felt rather than replace Paul with another person who is more intimately involved with the sport, he was going to take the more active role. And I think that was where his mistake really came in because they could have fixed it at that point. They could have gotten back on track after you fired Hextall. He did, but he didn't know what to do and relied on, you know, Clark to say, well, hey, Chuck Fletcher, he's got experience. I know his dad really well. I gave him his first job, blah, 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 blah. and obviously was not the right mix for this organization. But that was where Dave's turn made things go even further downhill as opposed to writing the ship and get back in the other direction. Because I think it would have been, Jay, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it, there was a real chance at that point to get going back in the right direction with the organization. And it just it, it, it just went the wrong way. Yeah, I mean, I, I often wonder, too, if the pandemic didn't hit, and Niskanen probably wouldn't have retired. He retired, I think, because he didn't want to deal with the restrictions of the pandemic. And, you know, some of the um, injury things that happened under Chuck Fletcher's watch, he just turned out to have some really bad luck, too. He didn't do himself any favors once the team started circling the drain. He exacerbated it and unclogged it a little bit. But if those injuries don't happen or the pandemic, he may have a totally different tenure. We will never know. But that's all. Well, well, the only thing I said, yeah, yeah. And the only thing with that, I mean, everybody always says, you know, oh, well, everybody had to deal with the pandemic. And it's like, yeah, you were equipped to handle it. Some weren't. Right. And the Flyers, the Flyers were not equipped to handle it. And and that was not all Chuck Fletcher's fault that they were not equipped to handle it. Okay. I mean, the flat cap came with it. And some teams were just better positioned with contracts that were coming up and weren't coming up that they could handle that element a lot better. Correct. Correct. And, but that, and, that doesn't, like you said, that doesn't excuse, um, excuse. absolve him. It doesn't no. absolve him. He was not a very good general manager uh, while he was here. But at the same time, you do have to be able to put that a little bit in perspective and say that was the hand he was also dealt coming yeah. in as well. Well, one thing I had heard, and this is, I mean, I'll preface this by saying that this person had told me just like working 
you know, so closely in the organization while Chuck has been here. Like he made our lives a living hell a long time with the mistakes that he made. But they also said this person was that they believe that he was sandbagged from day one, given both titles right off the bat, that right off the bat, he was put in a no win position and that not a lot of people realized how bad of a situation Ron Hextall left behind. Mm -hmm. And people still to this day try and, you know, pump the tires of the Hextall era, but and don't really acknowledge how poor of a situation it was both on and off the ice. So like, again, I, I would ask both you guys, like, do you think anything would have been different with Chuck if maybe Homer would have stayed on as president or they would have found a more intimate president, yeah. as you mentioned, Adam, if I he had just gotten the GM title? I think that when you have a GM that's also the president of hockey ops and has to report upstairs to ownership, that compromises a GM. And here's why. The GM cannot make moves based on butts in seats. <laughs> you just can't. You can't be worried about that part. You need a president to shield you from that. And then the other thing, too, like it's funny because, you know, we talk about the advisors so much, the three advisors, Clark Barber and um, and Paul Holmgren. But during the Hextall era, those advisors had no say. <laughs> he right. had an inner circle of two, himself yeah. and Chris Pryor, and that was it. Yeah. And, you know, that and that rubbed some people the wrong way. And then Chuck came in and was probably too inclusive and too many voices, which, you know, there was so much paralysis by analysis, hearing so many different opinions that you just you lose touch with the, being able to pull a move. So, um, I, I don't know if, if Homer had stayed on what that would have done. I just, I think he was cooked at that point. <laughs> or not even just Homer, just sub, like well, a buffer. So, you know? so so here's, here's and that, I think that was also a problem. Um, if we really want to break it down and, and kind of look at the analysis of it here, Paul Holmgren as a president of hockey operations would have been fine. The, the president role at the time was one that, that straddled two fences, right? Yeah. And it was a role that also incorporated the business side. He was the president of the club. So he, Paul, was pulled in many directions, several of which he had no previous experience dealing with and was kind of at the end of his career trying to learn on the fly. And I think that that ended up becoming, you know, a mistake as well. When you look at the presidents before him, and you look at the people that were in those positions, we already mentioned Luca, but even if you go back to Ron Ryan, these were guys who were business people who had ties to hockey, not hockey people who had ties to business. Yeah, and I think difference. that it, and it is a big difference, right? Yeah. And so I think that that kind of created another element of, of confusion and uncertainty within the organization. So it probably wasn't the right thing to make Paul the president. And then giving the job to Chuck after Paul technically retires, I guess, or semi-retires, that, like you said, Ant, was, you know, fait accompli. Like, he had no business being both roles. Somebody else needed to be in that position, which they're now going to try and do, but have it be specifically just for the hockey operation, reporting back to ownership and not trying to either straddle two fences or one person having both jobs. That was both, both of those alternatives did not work. This setup that Dan Hilferty is now trying to create is going to be the one that has the best chance 
of working if you if you're understanding the following the yeah. the relationships yeah. with everybody and uh San Filippo, what's your reporting telling us about potential president candidates of hockey operations? Not president of the club, yeah. president of hockey operations. What are you hearing here? Well, I, I, only very, I've heard very little. Um, I'll be honest. A couple names have come up to me, but they were just kind of early in the yeah. process names that really kind of got thrown my way. Um, Scott Mellenby was one that, that kind of got mentioned to me uh, early. Um I have not heard anything new on him, um, but I, I keep saying it because it's the one one of the names that was told right away that there was under consideration. I heard Robert Ash's name mentioned mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I know people are going to sit here and say, oh, my God, here they go. Former Flyers all over again. It is not the same thing. It's because you need one decade, you know, 15 years, Robert Ash, 30 years ago for Scott Mellon does not mean that, you know, you are liar. This is a different code, right? There are always there in some. People. And we're going to clear up your, your uh, connections a little bots for a second. Uh, but yeah, let me, I'll speak to that while we get Ant cleared up. Yeah. Um, Mellonby right now is with St. Louis um, as I guess as an advisor for Doug Armstrong. And while he did play for the Flyers, He's not a former flyer. He's a former Florida Panther. <laughs> That's where he played most of his career. And he's got a lot of head office uh, management experience with Montreal. Um, I I like Scott a lot. I think he's a very smart guy. I had him on Flyers Daily last year um, when we were looking back at some of the former players. Um, Esch is one that, I mean, he's like the mayor of Utica. <laughs> but he hasn't worked in an NHL front office. I think it's important for Danny to have somebody that worked in an NHL front. I office. agree. I agree. I agree. I think Mellonby is a more likely uh, candidate and better, probably a better candidate. But there, I, I think that the whole thing with Ash is, is that, you know, he did really, really well. I mean, I look what the Utica comments have become since Robert has yeah. put them in place. Right. And there is a connection with Danny. They were teammates in, in Arizona, Phoenix at the time. Right. Um, so so there's that too. So I mean there might be some kind of interconnectivity there that makes that makes some sense, but I I don't think that he should be the favorite uh for for the role. But yeah, no, but what I was what I was saying before my internet cut there for a second was and I think you probably addressed it, Jay, but don't just assume because there's a you know, 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon everything with with a player to Philadelphia Flyers that it's always the same path that has been followed. While that has been the case most of the time, and there is there has been a connectivity to Bob Clark, Paul Holmgren, and their their chain, right? Their tree. <laughs> this this is not that. Like if you bring in a Mellon B or, or Asher or anybody else that may have played here, it's very likely that these people are coming on their own accord. And not through, oh, yeah, well, this is their connection through Homer and Clarkie. Yeah, I mean, Homer and Clark are connected to everybody in the game at this <laughs> point in their lives. I mean, their yes. tree has a ton of branches. Yeah. Um, what do you, are you hearing anything about Shiro, Anthony DeMarco? I, 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 oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so Shiro was a name that has been brought up to me a lot. And I reached out actually to someone with the Minnesota Wild yesterday. And that's where Ray Shear is working right now as a senior advisor. And I was told that they don't feel comfortable commenting on that at this time, which to me kind of points in the direction like we're still playing. I don't want anything leaked right now. 
So I haven't got it confirmed, but in, if I had to make a best educated guess is that he's a guy that is been at least touched kicked tires on yeah uh, i've had heard some whispers but not from direct sources but i've heard whispers that he's among their top candidates because of his experience in the game obviously a stanley cup under his under his belt as well i've also heard that maybe he thinks that he could get a full-time gm job somewhere where he has full hockey say because of what's going on in new jersey so maybe he's not interested but if i had neither the flyers or the minnesota wild to me have confirmed it but kind of connecting dots, reading the tea leaves, he's someone that's been higher up on their list, and I'm led to believe they at least reached out. Yeah, and, and I had heard his name as well. Um, I, I think that when – I think that's one, though, that's a little bit more – You, Yeah. Same. You know what I'm saying? That one falls more towards the other side. And that his one son's falls, a scout, too. His son's a scout with know. the team, right? His son's a scout. His one son's a scout with the Flyers. The other one's a scout with the uh, with the Blue Jackets, right? I think Kyle's with the Flyers, yeah, right. And, yep. and Chris is with the Blue Jackets. I'm trying to remember who's which one's which. Yeah, it's Kyle, um, and he's a college scout. Yeah, he's like in in New England, I believe, right? He's a New England college scout. Yeah. Um, and so that one there is more. That one does come through that tree, right? Whether or not that they're reaching out to him without the influence of Clark and Holmgren on this decision that's still going to be perceived that way. And and so I, I, I not this, I'm not trying to knock Ray Shiro. He's got a great success. He's got a lot of, ex, excuse me, a lot of experience, but that's one that's going to, that this, that this fan base will give a much shorter rope to hundred percent. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you, if you hire Ray Shiro, you better get it right. The first time. Yeah. You, you uh, better. Yeah, it's important. I think to hire, you know, not who the fans want, but hire the right guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, for sure. If that's Shiro, sure. then it's Shiro. Okay. But yeah, it got to be the right guy. If it's Mellonby or if it's somebody else, like uh, JB said, uh, if Dubas gets canned, would you consider bringing in Dubas? No. I look at Dubas and I go, why would I bring in Dubas? Yeah. I, I mean, he, he signed those three forwards to monster contracts and can't build a team. So yeah, yeah, when yeah. you have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and John Tavares, and you haven't won a playoff round, I don't want, I, there's not much I want from you. Yeah. And, and it's not only that. I mean, not only did he, not only did he sign them to those monster contracts, but he, you want to talk about the, and, and Ant probably can address this better than I can, but you want to talk about the notion of, uh, you know, insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, hoping yeah. that you'll get it right. It'll eventually be right the second time, third time, fourth time. That's all Dupas has been. He's a one trick pony yep. and it has not worked. Now, do I think that they're finally going to win a playoff series this year? I don't. <laughs> well, I don't, Tampa's well, not. Tampa. Looked, they've not looked good to me, Jay. They've been a very inconsistent team. But, Ant, I, you know goaltending means in the playoffs. Yeah, and who's I got know. it and who I, doesn't? I know. I know. <laughs> and, and, and believe me, I would I would love to see Tampa beat them so that it can it stays this way, that, Tampa, that Toronto can't win a playoff series. Yeah, they're misery. But even though, even if they do win one, they're not beating Boston. They're not. No. So it doesn't matter. So that's what I'm saying. So like, yeah, okay. Even if they do win one playoff series this year, do, do you look forward and say, oh, well, that's good. That's progress. No, I wouldn't go Dubas at all. Yeah, me either. Um, let's talk about Danny um, because, you know, we've talked about the resume that he's put together because he didn't just come from former player, rest on his laurels. You know, he started out in player development. 
He got into basically scouting for a period of time, went back to school at Wharton, um, ran the ECHL team in Maine. Um, so he's put in his, his work. He actually started on the, the business side as well with Tilger. Um, but he seems like a guy that's positioned himself. And, you know, the one thing about Danny, while he's an incredible gentleman, he's a vicious competitor. Mm-hmm. Vicious. Um, so, Ant, what do you th- what do you think of of the position with him on there? We haven't had John since. He's been well, named the kill, him with ki- kill him with kindness. That's Danny Briere, right? I mean, yeah. No question about Until it. Until I need um, to use the stick. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. I, so, I think Danny's path is is a certainly a different one. Um, and, and it's good that he came a different way. Um, I, I feel like there have been some people that have some people in hockey ops that uh, have been there for a while who felt that Danny kind of pushed his way into this position almost like forced his way into this position um and that's okay that's okay if if Dan, but that goes to show to me that goes to show that it's just not another branch of the tree right i mean it's yeah if if there is some Rhythm. question about how he you know that he's a little bit of an interloper that he kind of so like and like I, i'll throw this one to you since you're up in montreal like there are people who believe that briere was never really a a legitimate finalist for the Montreal GM's position, but that he called in some favors to be considered in that regard and, and have it get out publicly that that was kind of a direction that the Canadians were thinking about going just to expedite his uh, potential stature, stature to absolutely you know, grow, grow his stature and to expedite the possibility of getting a better position within the Flyers organization. Well, I, I didn't hear that, but I mean, with the way that the media talks about him up here, like he's clearly very popular. And like, you know, you, you hear, like, I remember when he got hired, like I'd go to the gym and like TV spa and RDS, like all I saw was Dan Greer's face. Like we're very proud people in Quebec. Everyone was super happy, but I mean, if that was the the case and he did that, I mean, I guess he pulled it off pretty strategically because look, 15 months later, he's in charge of the Philadelphia Flyers hockey ops department. But I mean, look, we all we heard was that it came down to him, Kent Hughes, and I believe it was Matthew Darsh were the, right. the three guys. And I remember I was at a game around that period of time. I believe it was right before Christmas 2021, and he was there with the Flyers. And at that point in time, he was in charge of EC Shelmay Mariners and doing work on the player development side. So I'm sure he was considered on some level, but if he did call in some favors, I mean, they would be pretty strategic on his end, but he's clearly doing something right in some regard, right? Because I've heard a lot that they feel like he's the guy, and you've reported this on a, a lot, Ant, yeah. that like the business side and the hockey upside have been on two completely different pages for quite some time, and they feel like he could be the side to bring both together. But one thing I've really like wondered about, and it, it seems like all but a slam dunk that he's going to be the next general manager, but given his close relationship with those from Comcast, like, would it not almost be better to position him as president of hockey ops? That's what I've thought about a lot. Yeah, I said that on on uh, on the radio yesterday. I was I went on uh, did radio interview yesterday, and I immediately said, "Look, if we're if we're being if I'm being honest about how I see things, I think Danny is better suited to be that guy." who would fit the president role than he would be the general manager role. 
I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to be the GM. I'm pretty confident he's going to be the GM and somebody else is going to be the president. But I, I think that he better he fits the other role better. I really do. Um, but we'll see. I, I guess we'll, we'll see how how it plays out. Uh, again, because of his past with you know working in the business side of things, uh, running the main Mariners, like, I you know it's an ECHL team, but he ran it from a business perspective. I think that's where Danny is really, really good. And yes, he's done a great job of of learning how to be a scout and learning how to look at look for, look at things, look at players a certain way. Um, but I I do think that the, yeah he he's better suited for a a more executive position than general manager. But that's just my opinion. I think the one thing that tips in his favor as the GM too, A, I think it's what he wants to do. He wants to construct a team um, and have those decisions on personnel and, you know, a roster build. And I think the other part is this, is you see a lot of general managers around the league, first-time general managers having success. Look at Bill Guerin. Look at uh, Drury, Chris Drury in New York. You see these young general managers. They're all in that same 44 to 46 age range, with the exception of Duvis, who's a lot younger. Um, you have your older guard, too, like Armstrong and those guys. But you see a lot of the young guy. Greer gets the job in San Jose. And I think that teams are recognizing that to build a today's type NHL roster, you have to have somebody that knows today's type NHL play. So if it's a former player, they have to have played pretty recently. Danny retired in what, 2014, 15. So he's not that far removed. So I think that that's part of it too. It's kind of the, you see, it's, you know, imitation is the most serious form of flattery. You see these teams that all have put a president in place and a young general manager. So, you know, a lot of times a GM too, Amp, will build a team with uh, some of the traits of that they had as a player, their own likeness. So I, I think that that could be part of what Danny's strategic vision is as well. So speed, skill, and ferocious competitors are basically what he's going to be looking for. Yeah, and, and that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, you know, it, if there's any player who really kind of, if you go back in time, if there's if there's any player who you would put as the um, the, the poster boy for the change that happened after the, the lockout in oh four oh five, it's Danny Briere, right? I mean, he was the the kind of player who became one of the best players in the game after the lockout. That probably he was waived have, in Phoenix. That wouldn't have been that. Not that he didn't score. I mean, he ha, he was he did have a, a you know a good season. I think before the lockout, I think his oh three oh four, he did have a really nice season. But he would not have been the player he was post lockout, yeah. pre lockout. Right. So, I mean, he th- that's kind of what hockey has become. Right. In, in that regard. And now we see, you know, up in your neck of the woods, they have the cues eliminating fighting altogether. So. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the future of hockey is going to be more of this. It's going to be more of speed and skill and less of you know, the physical play. So I, I think that, yes, you're right. And, you know, it wouldn't Danny would probably want to do that anyway. But it's probably also a good thing for this organization, considering that's where the game currently is, and it looks like in the future it's where it's going to stay. Yeah. Well, I, I just I look at it in a way of just like so. I've heard that Danny is a proponent of keeping Barry and Brent, and obviously we know that he had a big hand in hiring 
John Tortorella and Tortorella isn't going anywhere uh, no matter who is in the GM. So that doesn't really matter. But I'm just kind of thinking about this is like, we know Comcast likes Danny. And if let's say they're going to trust his opinion on things, he's going to vouch for Barry and Brent, but then you're going to hire a president of hockey ops who is technically higher than Danny and all these AGMs and all these coaches, but he has to keep all these AGMs and all these coaches. And I just start to say like, well, then who's really in charge here? Like, isn't the president supposed to oversee everyone in hockey ops, not be told like, well, this is your team and you got to make do with them. And that's why I would say like, if Danny was president, then it kind of falls better in the the pecking order type of things where like you bring in a GM and you're just like, okay, well, we're going with this coach and these are your staff, but that's because Danny's the president and he has faith in all these guys. Well, I just that's wonder where this thing it needs to be done exactly right. That exactly. everybody knows their role. Your job is the GM. Your job is the president to assist the GM and be the buffer. That's where you got to get it right. Everybody's got to be on the same page as to what their duties are. I just, I really do not want to see a situation like we saw in Buffalo with Pat Lafontaine where Pat LaFontaine comes in as the president of hockey ops. And I believe it was a couple months and it's just like, what the fuck is this? I'm out. And he pulls the shoot. Or then we saw it not to the, not as rapidly, but we saw something similar happen in Vancouver with Trevor Linden, where I believe it was a kind of a power struggle between him and Jim Benning. And he pulls the shoot and he's out after a year or so. So, I mean, I, I, if this is the direction they want to go and they feel it's the best, you know, I, I'm all for giving the benefit of the doubt to a brand new clean slate and a new way of thinking. But like, if it's going, and the thing I heard about Ray Shira, where like, well, he maybe wants to go somewhere where he has full say on hockey ops as a GM, as opposed to just being the president. Like, is that kind of what they're going to be looking for in a president? They're just like, well, you're not really going to have a say in hockey ops. You're just here to be the buffer. But then who's really in charge? Is it the general manager or the president? And usually, theoretically, it is always the president. So that's why I've defaulted to lately. And I do, I'm with Ann here and I'm with UJ that I do think that Dollar Sedona saying we will have that interim tag ripped off and he'll be the next general manager. And it is yeah. something he wants. I think it's already been verbalized to him, to be honest with you, that he will be the next GM. But... I'm just wondering, are you going to bring in a president of hockey ops? And then a couple months later, he's going to be like, you know what? I'm the president, but I'm not really the president. Am I just a figurehead here? I want more say. So it is imperative that they get it absolutely right. Because you don't want a situation where said president is pulling the shoot after X amount of months or years. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's wrap it up there, boys. Great stuff. Um, Tons to discuss. We're going to have to reconvene in a week or so's time, the three of us again. Absolutely. And do this again. There's so much to talk about, and we'll see how deep uh, the changes go. But two big ones already: General Manager Chuck Fletcher, and then uh, the Chairman and Governor of the Flyers Dave Scott. And um, it certainly feels like a fresh new day for sure. Uh, check out Anthony Sam Filippo's work on CrossingBroad.com. Hear him on Snow the Goalie and the Crossing Broadcast. He'll be providing Phillies coverage uh, to the M degree as well. And Anthony DeMarco's work on the FourthPeriod.com. Give uh, Anne a follow on Twitter at a demarco25 and uh, Anthony Sanfilippo at and San Philly. Thanks, boys. Yeah, yeah anytime. Love talking with you. Love talking with you, boys. All right, there goes the dueling Anthony's, and we go to a four. How about a third Anthony? We go to Antonio. We go to Tones. Takes what's <laughs> going on, Tone? 
Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing, bud? Holy Anthony, I met my quota today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good fellow. Everybody's name's Maria and Peter and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, like in The Sopranos, he goes, um, his dad's name was Johnny Soprano. John, uh, Uncle Johnny, uh, they, they, they would use like this, Uncle Johnny, Uncle Pat, or something like that. Yeah, like they had yep. to separate them all. <laughs> Here we got Paul. We got Paulie. <laughs> so, <Yep. laughs> oh, man. So what's going on, man? Not much. How you doing? Doing good. Got a good card tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Playoffs are, uh, you know, it's getting close. What, three weeks, I think. Right. Three weeks. Uh, I think they start April 17th, I think, yep. I believe. Or, yeah, so. yeah. Flyers so wrap up on April 13th. Yep. Um, let's start man. off. Uh, yeah, let's start off the plays tonight. Let's go to how about we go to St. Louis where the Vancouver Canucks and Eliasson with 35 goals this year, 93 points. He's having a year. Uh take on the, the Canucks are taking on the Blues tonight. And you got a little minus money here, but you like the Canucks in this game. Yeah, short line on Vancouver, minus 105. They've won eight of their last 10 games. Yeah. Uh, Talking has, has been a great, you know, a great help in that dressing room. But also, my boy Thatcher Demko, you know, I'm a big fan of his since he's yeah. returned from injury. He's healthy. He looks great. Uh, he's seven and three in his last 10 starts, 2.11 goals against, 0.925 save percentage. Uh, I like, I like, uh, I like the Vancouver Canucks here to stay hot. St. Louis is back off of a, uh, a road trip. There was only three games, but they were still at out west. Uh, I've only had a day off in between, so I think the Canucks can jump on them tonight. When you look inside this game, I know you like Besser too with a shot on goal total here, plus money. Yeah, plus one hundred two. He's hit it in six straight. You know, since Horvat left, he's kind of picked it up a little bit. Uh, in those six games, he's averaging three point two shots per game on five point five attempts. Uh, he hit this in both previous meetings with St. Louis this year. He had five earlier in the season and uh, three in the last meeting, which was in St. Louis. So yeah, um, I think he's a good, yeah, good plus money play here. So, All right, so you get plus 102 on that. Let's go to um, a game tonight where, you know, Pittsburgh is a team that is solidifying their playoff position kind of nice at this point. You know, they're uh, three points up on Florida. They've played one last game, so they have a game in mm -hmm. hand. On Florida, Buffalo, uh, they got five points on Buffalo. Um, they played the same amount of games. They're starting to solidify, but only going to solidify further if and only if they can continue to pile up some wins. They go to Detroit tonight to take on the Red Wings, but you like the total here. Yeah, I'm going to be on their team total over three and a half. It's minus 113. Uh, Nadelkovich is going for Detroit. He has limited time this year with injuries, 0.83 save percentage, 3.83 goals against. Um, you know, Pittsburgh should come away with a clean win here. Uh, everything else is juice, and I'd rather not take them regulation or minus one because I just, you know, I still don't trust them defensively. So I think with the team total here, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go that route. Like you said, they, you know, they're they're in a spot right now, but they're only three points up. They do have, you know, Florida has a game in hand, um, so they they need to, you know, still string together some wins here. But I do think that they should sneak in and get that last spot in the East. Mm -hmm. And Crosby, by the way, uh, and now what, 17th straight season, I think it is, of a point per game player it's at 85 it's points, crazy. 31 and 54. And yeah. uh, I think only one player had more. That was Wayno. Yep. yep. Still one of the best players in the game all around. Dude's Maybe the animal. best all around player in the game. Yeah, animal. I, I was looking at the lottery <laughs> odds today for the NHL draft lottery on May 8th, and the 3% chance of landing the number one overall pick. 
It is the Washington Capitals. Imagine if they end the number one overall pick. They get bedard with <laughs> the tail end of Ovechkin. Oh, oh man. <laughs> that would it's just gonna be interesting. Piss me off. It's gonna be interesting to see where he goes, man. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, there's so many there would be so many good fits. I mean, he'd be a good fit in Columbus with the talent they have up there. He'd be a yeah. good fit in Anaheim with Zegris. Montreal. Montreal would be a good fit. I mean, a lot of the like the teams that are in the lottery, they have good young players. So it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be interesting. You know? He'd fit great in Philly. I know that. Yes, he would. Absolutely. <laughs> tell you what, I like that fan Tilly too. Did you see him the other night from Michigan against Penn State? Yeah. Yep. Kid controls the ice in all zones, man. He's, he's yep. bigger body, and yeah, I think he's going to be excellent as yep. well. Um, yep. So when people get your stuff at dimers.com. Where else? Yep, and on Twitter at Tones Takes uh, plus thirty-seven units for the year. Fourteen Ooh. of the last sixteen NHL weeks have been have been winning weeks. So we're looking to a. Uh, Stay hot into the playoffs here. Love it. And we'll be talking to you throughout the playoffs as well. Tone, great stuff. Thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks for having me on, Jason. There he is. Tone's takes our trifecta of Anthony's on the program today. Great stuff from Anthony Sam Filippo from Crossing Broad. Great stuff from Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period.com. And great stuff from Anthony Tone's takes, we'll call him. And the great work he does, dimers.com, and give him a follow at Tones Takes on Twitter as well. That's going to put a wrap on this episode 59 of Stick to Hockey Live. Flyers in action tonight, wrapping up the seven-game homestand against Montreal. So enjoy your hockey tonight. We'll talk to you next time on Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.